And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. You can also uh, check out some of my written content at uh, Musket Fire, which is a uh, fan-sided site. Uh, We'll be coming out with uh, some content this week. Uh, around the draft and it is that time of year so that's exciting I have some uh, content for you guys later this week uh, we'll also have some content for the podcast as well uh, we're actually not doing guest friday this week uh, but i am doing a reaction um, on friday after the patriots first round uh, selection thursday night well that is assuming that the patriots make a pick although you know if they don't if they end up trading the pick we'll still do um, a reaction to that so i'm looking forward uh, to that for the podcast. Um, if you've not listened to last week's uh, Guest Friday, you can if you'd like. I interviewed uh, my older brother Tyler, Celtics season ticket holder, talked uh, about the Celtics prior uh, to Game 3 uh, last week, so it might be dated a little bit, but um, if you are interested, you can go listen to that. Um, so I think we're just going to get get right into all the sports. we got a lot to get to today. Um and it's, it's the best time of the year. It really is. I think on the uh, sports calendar, you know, people say, I think often that this time of year, the spring is the best. And, you know, we are very lucky around these parts that, you know, teams are doing pretty well. You know, it's, it's exciting. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday that, you know, we have both our pro basketball hockey teams up three games to one. We got our soccer team that is, you know, tied for first place in the Eastern Conference. The Red Sox have won seven out of ten. They took two out of three from the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend. The Patriots got the draft this week. It's just a great time. So um, the great thing is a lot of positive stuff going on, which is always great. You know, it's always great on this program as we're, you know, often a program that likes to see the lighter side in things. And, uh, we're starting with the Bruins today, and the Bruins just, you know, I think it's, you saw the way that they had played the entire season, and you kind of just ran out of words to describe how good this team has been, and how focused they've been, and how, you know, they're willing to do anything, you know, and that means being, having the next man up mentality, you know, this team's missed their captain, the first four games of the series. And, you know, I think it just, it's just like, it's, it's almost indescribable the way that they've been able to find ways to win and, you know, find new areas of confidence. And, you know, they've done it all year that they've lost the game and they've come back and they've played outstanding hockey and, that's exactly what you saw this weekend. Two just professional professional games that this team has played over the last two games, games three and four in Florida. Just it's just you can see you can see that this group is so focused, that this group is so focused on the bigger goal that, you know, all this, you know, dirty stuff that the Panthers are trying to do and are trying to intimidate the Bruins with. The Bruins are just not affected. And I think, 
it kind of just shows the the focus of this team, but the leadership of guys like Brad Marsh and guys like Taylor Hall, who really stepped up this weekend. You know, Hall with the four-point game, that's the best game I've seen him play all season. You know, he was playing great at the beginning of the year. We're seeing the full maturation process of a guy like Brad Marchand, who really has been looked at to be a leader in this series with the Bruins without Bergeron and without Krejci the last couple of games, and he's been outstanding. It's not necessarily, you know, putting up four points every game, but it's the little things. It's the leadership. It's, you know, not getting involved in the 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 scrum BS that we saw late in the game yesterday. It's realizing that there are bigger goals at play for this team than getting an extra shot at a guy, cross-checking a guy in the back or, you know, whatever it is. And I think we used to see Brad Marchand be involved in that sort of thing. And I think that he realizes how important this group is and how important this year is to a lot of guys that I think they know that this is really kind of their last opportunity to go out and win a cup. And I think realizing that and knowing that, okay, we can't possibly, you know, any guys, you know, whether it's Marchand, whether it's anyone on the roster, that we can't put ourselves in position where we're going to put our team in trouble. And I think it's kind of the polar opposite of watching these two teams, that this is a Bruins team that is seasoned. You know, they know how to get it done in these playoff games. They know what it takes. They know the the emotional level that you need to be at, that yes, you need to play with emotion, but you can't go over the line. And I think that playing through so many of these playoff series throughout the years, they're experienced. The Florida Panthers aren't. And I think you're starting to see them you know, kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like, you're seeing that they're a team that's undisciplined. You're seeing that they're a team that is not playing the game and they are resulting to, you know, dirty tricks or whatever you want to call it. And it's just, it's kind of pathetic to watch that you have a guy like Matt Kachuk, who is one of the most talented players in the league and you know, just still falls into the trap of being that, you know, irritant or whatever you want to call it. And it's just, you know, unfortunate that you see a team kind of just falling apart, you know, trying to get the Bruins to respond and react. And it's just, the Bruins are the adults in this situation. The Panthers are not. And you could clearly see that at the end of, at the end of yesterday's game, with Kachuk taking some, you know, free shots at Allmark, and, you know, Allmark, to his credit, didn't want to take it anymore. And I think, you know, it's, as, as Charlie McAvoy said, everyone has their boiling point. And I think it kind of just was enough was enough at that point. And I think this is a Bruins team that has had each other's backs all season long. And I think for Allmark to even stand up to Kachuk, it's like, Oh, he's locked in. This is a team that's locked in. This is a team that will do anything for each other. And I think we're really starting to see this team come together in this series. I really think through the first two games or so, this team wasn't really playing their best. And it's like you're starting to see that, okay, 
There are guys that are figuring it out, guys who had great games in game three or in game four. You know, Coyle, outstanding in game three. You know, Taylor Hall, outstanding yesterday. And I think, you know, knowing that you have these guys that can pick up the slack when someone's out of the lineup, it's just, it's a comforting feeling that this team is so deep that they can miss Bergeron and miss Krejci for two games and not even miss a beat offensively. You know, guys who have picked it up offensively. DeBrusque has been outstanding. He was great yesterday. You know, Bertuzzi has been really good. And I think, you know, obviously we've talked about Hall and the way that he's played. And I think, you know, even Marchand, even without maybe the high point total in the series, although I think he actually does have four points in four games, which is, which is very good. But I think... You're seeing some of the other guys step up. Orlov had an outstanding weekend, had a couple of great assists in Game 3. You know, Zaka has had an, an assist in, or has had four assists in four games. You know, so many guys are just playing at really high levels, and it's not always about the points with this team, but it's about doing the things to help your team. And I think you're seeing this team really come together. And I think... You know, we've known that this team is good all season long, but I think to see them really come together in kind of an adversity spot where this is a team that we we figured that Bergeron and Krejci were going to be good to go and play every single game. And I think having that adversity hit them in the first round where, okay, we're going to be without Patrice for the first four games of the series, we really have to bring it, and they've brought it. And I think they have... I think shown a lot of us that they've grown and they've matured as a team that, you know, it's one thing to say all these things in the regular season that we're focused on bigger things, we're focused on bigger things, records, we don't care about that, but it's a whole nother thing to be goaded by the Florida Panthers into, you know, taking stupid penalties and doing stupid things and doing exactly what the Panthers are doing and the Bruins are just like, you know what, that's fine. You guys can do all that. We're going to focus on winning because we have bigger goals. And I think that that's, you know, goes to show you the maturation process of this team, but Brad Marchand in particular, you know, it's a guy who's 34 years old. And I think, you know, for the longest time, a lot of us were not concerned, but he oftentimes would get in trouble with things like the things that Kachuk is doing in this series. And I think to recognize that, okay, it's really on me to be a leader, you know, without Krejci and Bergeron. And, you know, those three guys are the only things that are remaining from that 2011 championship team. And I think Brad really took it upon himself in the last two games to, you know, put the team on his back. And I think that this series is showing you that this is a guy that absolutely should be the next captain of this team. And I know that you know, for however long Bergeron's going to go, whether it's the end of this season, whether it's the end of next season, whatever it's going to be, I think, you know, Brad has really shown you that he is ready to be the leader of this team. So just a tremendous weekend for the Bruins. And, you know, Allmark was really good. I think that, yes, there's something to be said for playing Swayman, but I think the Bruins riding the, the goalie that's gotten it done for you all season long. And I know that you know, yes, there's 
something to be said for maybe giving Swayman a game or two, but, you know, I mean, Hallmark's been good, and I think he's earned the right to continue to play in these high-pressure games. Um, it is going to be curious to see who plays Wednesday, Game 5, because uh, Olmark playing four games in a seven-day span, which I think is... It's like the first time in his career he's done that, or it was the first time in a long time. And Ty Anderson had a, had a tweet about it that this was the first time he's played four games in seven days in a while. Um, but he's stood up to the task, and he's been really good, so... I think with the extra day of rest, um, you could see him in net for game five. Um, but I think you could also see Swayman. You know, I think with the Bruins having a 3-1 lead, they could, you know, have an idea that, okay, we could give a game to, to Swayman. But I also think that in the off chance that Swayman doesn't respond well and doesn't have a good game and the Bruins lose, you might not want to tempt fate. So I do think that you know, Olmark probably plays Wednesday, but I do think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they approach the next series, because I do think there was a lot of conversation. Do you go to Swayman in Game 3? The Bruins stuck with Olmark, which I think was the right decision, and they stuck with him again yesterday and was really, really good. You know, I think, yes, that was a game that ended up to be 6-2, to two, but... You know, Olmark was really good in the first period when the Bruins were not really having their best game out of the gate. You know, the Panthers, I think at one point, were out shooting the Bruins 10-2, to and it was Olmark that was, you know, making the big saves, keeping them in that game. And, you know, I do think with the extra day to rest, he probably does play again on Wednesday. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of the health of this lineup, uh, I think there is thought that Bergeron could return in Game 5. Doesn't seem as likely for David Krejci, so, you know, obviously it'll be interesting to see how the lineup gets affected. Really liked um, Jacob Lauko getting into a couple games this weekend, um, you know, just trying to kind of change the energy a little bit, and I think it worked. Um, you know, obviously Grizzlick's insertion into the lineup made a lot of things easier in games three and four. I just think his ability to, you know, move the puck and move the puck quickly, you know, really was something that the Bruins missed in game two, that there just were a lot of errors defensively. And I think for the Bruins to be their best defensively, Matt Grizzlick needs to be in the lineup because, you know, he's a guy that just can move the puck quickly and, you know, get the puck out of the zone when they really need it. So... You know, I think it will be interesting to see once Bergeron comes back. I mean, you're pretty sure that he's going to go back between DeBrusque and Marchand and then the rest of the lineup, you know, shake out how it's going to shake out. But I think this is a team that really seemed to find their footing down there in Florida. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't really surprised. You know, this is a team that's a veteran team. You know, they understand what it takes, you know, to get it done when you need a win in, you know, I don't know if I'll call it a hostile environment, but I think, you know, going on the road and realizing that, okay, you know, we can play our best hockey. And I think they played their best hockey in Florida and, you know, coming home to hopefully finish off the series on Wednesday, you know, would be great. And 
give this team some time off, you know, especially if Krejci is not ready to go game five. Hopefully he can use some of that time off if the Bruins are able to advance. You know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, I do think if the Bruins are able to advance on Wednesday, they might be waiting a while for Tampa Bay and Toronto as, you know, that series I think likely goes six or seven games. Game four of that series is tonight, which we'll take a look at in a moment, but or, or later in the podcast, but I think for the Bruins, it's just focusing on this series, finishing it off, giving guys some time to heal, and then they can be ready for Tampa Bay or Toronto, which, in my opinion, I think it's going to be that's going to be the toughest series of the playoffs, um, assuming the Bruins can get through. Um, I just, you know, talked about this briefly with Mike Craddy um, of, on the not the most recent guest Friday, but the, the one before, but talking about how Toronto is kind of a team that, you know, I don't know, just something kind of an uneasy feeling about facing that team. If the Bruins do indeed play them, or if it's the Lightning, it's a team that's the class of the Eastern Conference, and, you know, you kind of got to go through them to, you know, if you want to be the champs, you have to go through and beat the, you know, conference champs, I guess. Um, but obviously, hopefully the Bruins can close it out game five. Um, I think that they will. I really think that uh, Florida, the frustration really got to them in game four. And I think there might be a good chance that possibly there's a suspension. I'd be very surprised. But I think that, you know, Florida knows that they blew an opportunity to, you know, make it a series. I fully expect the Bruins to win. Uh, game five on Wednesday and hopefully get some days off. So Wednesday, game five, seven o'clock start in Boston. And then Friday could be the possible game six if the Bruins are unable to close out the series. But I do expect them to close out the series. And, you know, winning in five is... Certainly not the worst thing to happen. I know that a lot of people were, you know, surprised at how poorly they played in game two. And admittedly, I was as well. But, you know, I think this is a team that they're not going to win every single game. I know it felt like they did in the regular season, but the playoffs, much more of a different game. But, you know, all year the Bruins have responded to losses with long winning streaks. So... You know, you hope that this is this is going to be that, that the Bruins are going to rap, rattle off a number of wins in this round and then, you know, hopefully on to the, the next round. So really good weekend for the Bruins. And I think uh, we can probably move on to the other uh, postseason team going going strong right now, the Boston Celtics, who had kind of an uneven weekend uh, down in Atlanta, not as successful as the Bruins, but the important thing is they did win yesterday, taking a 3-1 lead in their first round series against the Hawks. A pretty poor defensive effort in Game 3. Celtics just could not get a stop late in that game, gave up 74 points in the first half, 130 overall. So they lose Game 3, 130-122, but really important bounce back win for the Seas last night. I think, you know, this is also a team that when they go through a rough patch or if they lose a game that they can respond 
and respond really well. And I think that this is exactly what you want to see from this group this year. And I think, you know, again, it's all about the focus and all about the mentality. And I think that there was a little bit of this, you know, Bruins type of, you know, mental fortitude in this game um, that the Celtics were able to hang on, make the plays down the stretch to get a win. And I think realizing how important this game is and not wanting to let the series go on longer than it should. And, you know, obviously game five is tomorrow in Boston. Celtics can win the series. So obviously it's not over yet, but I think just the thought of the Celtics playing more engaged defense last night, I think was really encouraging that, you know, yes, the Hawks are going to score a lot of points. They're a high scoring team. I think they're like the third highest scoring team in the league this year. But I think the Celtics were able to play quality defense and were able to get stops when they needed it and come up with big plays on offense. You know, I have to point to those plays late in the game where the Celtics, I believe, were up by five. And on two possessions in a row, Jalen Brown attacks the basket and dishes it off to Rob Williams underneath. He gets two easy buckets. And that essentially put the game away. And I think that that really speaks to Jalen's maturation process where maybe a year ago he doesn't drive the ball maybe a year ago he tries to go one-on-one take a three he tries to go one-on-one loses the ball but he made the two biggest plays of the game last night taking it to the rim getting it to Rob Williams and Rob's been outstanding um, in this series I think the Celtics have done a great job of bringing him in off the bench not playing him crazy minutes but he's been able to make a huge impact. He had 15 rebounds last night. You know, 12 defensive rebounds. Celtics were destroyed um, on the on the glass in Game 3, and the Celtics made sure that the Hawks were not going to have that same type of game last night. So I think the Celtics really buckled down defensively and in the rebounding area, you know, and were able to get a win. This is a Celtics team that I think had something like 29 rebounds in Game 3. They had 32 in the first half last night. They ended up with 49 for the game. And I think, you know, this Celtics team really, I think, dug in defensively and really played a great game. And I think it's just great to continue to see kind of the maturation process of this team. And, you know, Tatum is, you know, was not efficient with his threes. It was only 4 for 13, but I think 12 free throw attempts. Really important for the Celtics, especially in the second half. You know, Hawks made a big run in the third quarter, outscored the Celtics by 7, but the Celtics responded. And, you know, Tatum and Brown both with 31. You know, Al Horford might have the most effective scoreless game that I've seen in a long time. Had 11 rebounds, 5 assists, and a couple of steals. Um, Three offensive rebounds, and... Speaking of rebounds, Rob Williams did come up with some big offensive rebounds at key moments. Uh, and I think that Marcus played really well. May have shot a couple too many threes, but was fairly efficient. You know, 3 for 8, 8 for 14 from the field. 19 points and 4 assists. Derek White was his efficient self. 7 for 14, 18 points. Um, and I think it's just, and I talked about this last week, that We're really seeing Derek White getting more comfortable with the Celtics team. And yes, I know you could say that they had him last year, but 
he was still kind of getting used to the Celtics and, you know, it's hard to come in after a trade and be, be really solid in your role for the first couple of months. So I think he's been excellent, you know, really just gives the Celtics another option, a guy who can shoot, a guy who can take it to the basket and give you easy points, but is going to play outstanding defense and is going to play really hard. And it's just to have him in the starting lineup and then bring Brogdon off the bench, who can pretty much get whatever he wants offensively at any time. It just makes this team so dangerous. And, you know, I think that was a big win last night. And obviously series isn't over. Celtics need to do this again in game five because, you know, obviously one of the issues last year was that they couldn't put teams away. But I think they did a good job in the fourth quarter being able to put this Hawks team away. You know, shooting efficiently from three for most of the game. You know, 40% for the team, 51% uh, from the field overall. But I think for them, moving the ball, getting open shots, you know, playing defense at the level that, you know, kind of needs it needs to be at, and kind of keeping low turnovers. Did have a lot of turnovers last night with 16. Uh, the Hawks only had 12. But, you know, I think winning a game like this, kind of grinding it out, playing a close game throughout, and kind of being in control for most of the game. There really never was a moment where it felt like the game was out of control. And I think it might be crazy to hear me say this, but I do think Joe Missoula deserves some credit for this game because I think there were there was one moment, I think it was in the second half, where the Hawks you know, went on a bit of a run. Murray found Hunter for a huge dunk. The crowd was going crazy. And then the Celtics respond with Rob Williams getting a three-point play. And I think Missoula is showing that trust in the team that he trusts his team to get back on track after a big run by the Hawks. And I know that there are people that don't like that strategy and think that you need to call timeouts in moments like that. But I think that he's done a good job of kind of letting his guys play through it and letting his guys you know, figure figure it out on their own because they're going to have to do that. You know, there are going to be hostile environments that they play in. There's going to be games with a lot more at stake than a first-round series. You know, they're going to be, you know, second-round conference final, NBA finals games that are going to be just like that. And I think showing the belief in your players is really important. And I think, you know, I think the coach can only do so much. And I think a lot of it kind of is on the, the group of guys on the floor. But I do think that I really like that he trusts his guys and, you know, trusts them to make plays in, in times that are challenging. So, you know, obviously the Hawks were pretty good offensively, I think, in both of the games down there in Atlanta. But I think, you know, this is a Celtics team that I think responded Kind of like the Bruins, they responded to adversity. They responded by playing a really poor defensive game in Game 3 to playing a much better defensive game. Now, yeah, 121 points is still a lot, but it's like it is the nature of the NBA these days. The teams are going to score a lot of points, but the Celtics, I think, really came up with big plays when they needed it. And I think, you know, giving the Celtics the confidence that they could win a game like that, that 
I don't want to necessarily call it a close game, but, you know, it was an in-between. wasn't a blowout, wasn't a close game. But I think for the Celtics to come up with big plays when they came up with them, you know, really could end up helping this team down the stretch. Now, you know, this team does have another game, Game 5 tomorrow, and you really hope the Celtics can finish up the series so that they can get to the second round as quickly as they can. You know, it might be good to have some rest, but I do think it's just kind of the mental, not hurdle, but like kind of the mental thing of being able to close out a series when you can, you know, not giving a team any hope. You know, this is a Celtics team that, you know, hopefully the message was after that game that we're not satisfied. We still have another game to play. We're not coming back to Atlanta, and I think... The Celtics really need to return with that mindset to start the game. And I really thought that the first quarter was really, really solid yesterday. And I think that, yes, the Celtics had the lead after the first quarter in Game 3. But you could tell that it kind of was not going to be a good defensive game for the Celtics. And I think oftentimes you can tell in the first quarter what kind of game it's going to be. And I think the Celtics really did a good job of establishing that, you know, we are going to take this game. We're not going to screw around. And I think it was clear, Derek White taking that charge in the first quarter, that the Celtics are setting a tone that, okay, we're here. We will kind of let our foot off the gas in game three, let you guys get into a rhythm, but we're not going to let you guys take this game. So really kudos to this team, and hopefully they can close it out. Um, but really impressed with the win last night. So, you know, 3-1 series lead, game five tomorrow, 7 p.m. at the Garden, or 7.30, I should say, um, and an opportunity for the Celtics to close out the series and then take on the Sixers um, in round two. I know that there's some thought about Joel Embiid. Is he ready for round two? I don't necessarily believe Doc Rivers 100% when he said that, you know, Joel is 50% at best for round two think there might be some gamesmanship going on, but obviously we'll see. But hopefully the Celtics can wrap it up in five. And I also think that, yes, people were upset that they didn't win game three, but it's hard to sweep, you know? And I know that the Sixers swept the Nets. I, I know, I know, but it's not an easy thing to do to beat a team four times in a row. You know, the Celtics had a hard time with the, with the, the Nets last year. And yes, I know they swept, but that first game came down to a buzzer beater. That second game came down to a second-half comeback. And those other two games in Brooklyn were kind of somewhat close games. So it's not like... I think when people think of a sweep, they think, oh, you're completely dominating the other team. But it's like, I don't think that that's true. So, look, I think if the Celtics win the series in five, who really cares if it wasn't a sweep? I think it's like, yes, the Celtics probably should have swept, but look, they're going to be games that they lose in the playoffs. You know, that's just how it works. Very rarely is there a team that goes through the playoffs and doesn't lose a single single game. I'm actually not sure if it's ever happened. But I just think that, yes, they're going to be games where the Celtics kind of just let their foot off the gas. And, you know, it's just how it's going to go. You know, when they play the Sixers, yes, they're going to lose some games. If they play the Bucs or whoever they play, they're going to lose games. You know, that's just kind of how it works. So, you know, I wouldn't lose too much sleep. I mean, I think personally I would have been very concerned if they had lost last night 
because then that kind of becomes a trend. But I think that they did a good job of kind of stopping that momentum that the Hawks had and said that, hey, this game belongs to us. We're not going to, we're not going to, you know, screw around and lose this game too. So you hope the Celtics can bring that mentality game five at the Garden and uh, move on to the second round and play the uh, vaunted Sixers, I guess if you want to call them that. But uh, again, really impressed with the C's last night. So speaking of another team that I was very impressed with this weekend, uh, the Red Sox taking two out of three from a very good Brewers team. And, you know, I think since our last conversation, you know, the Red Sox have done pretty well, you know, won four out of six and have found some timely hits and nothing was more timely than the Red Sox. A huge eighth inning in Milwaukee yesterday, 12 to five, the final score. Red Sox exploding for nine runs in the eighth inning. Masataka Yoshida with two home runs, including a grand slam in the eighth. Turner also homered in the eighth inning, and the Red Sox, uh, you know, blew the game open, were able to take two or three from a very good Brewers team, a Brewers team that I believe came into the series or have a, have a record at 15-7. and seven. So the Red Sox go down there. Win two out of three. This came after winning two out of three against the Minnesota Twins. Another pretty solid team. So if you go back to after the Red Sox were swept by Tampa Bay, they've won seven out of ten. So you hope that this team is maybe finding their groove offensively. Some guys have come in and played really, really well. Really impressed uh, with Jaron Duran over the last couple of games. You know, he's come in and played more because of the absence of Duvall, and he's responded really well, which is great to see. You know, he was a guy in the offseason that I was really hoping could come in and provide this team with some offense, and he's played really well. Seven games in Boston this year, and has hit 391. Has six RBIs in his first seven games. You know, 15 hits and 33 at-bats. He's been really, really good. And I think giving the Red Sox hope that, okay, Duvall may be out, but we can have a guy that can come in and, you know, provide some offense and provide exactly what the Red Sox have wanted from him, you know, the moment that he came over, you know, to the big club. And I think, you know, offensively, again, Devers is doing what he does, but I think you've had some guys recently, obviously, Yoshida, in the last couple of games, and Verdugo have been able to pick up the slack, really impressed with the season that Verdugo's having. And I think hopefully if Duran can continue to get into some games, you know, he can make an impact offensively. And I think just having that depth could be really important whenever, you know, Duvall returns. But I think getting the consistent offense from other guys other than Devers, you know, is really going to be important for this team. And you know, Verdugo has come up with some big hits recently. You know, Yoshida has, I think, struggled for a majority of the last couple of weeks, had an injury or whatever, but I think he's starting to figure things out. And I think anytime you have a two-home run game, it kind of is like, okay, you know, this is the kind of player that the Red Sox were expecting uh, to get. And so hopefully he can inject, you know, some excitement into the roster. And I think that you know, yeah, this is still a team that it's 
night in and night out, it's hard to know what to expect necessarily from the starters, but I think, <clears throat> you know, Tanner Houck has been really, really encouraging over the first couple of weeks. You know, he's made four starts, he's 3-0, a 429 ERA, which is a little bit high, but I think he's been able to get some wins. You know, Sale had a really good outing last week with the 11 strikeouts. You know, Whitlock, I think, has had some games here and there that he's improving. You know, same thing for Bayo. He pitched yesterday, but, you know, I think they really need to get Corey Kluber back on track. He's been, you know, very bad in his first couple of outings. And, you know, yeah, it's a lot to rely on him and Sale to kind of be their best two pitchers, but I think... You know, you hope at some point they can get into a rhythm and, you know, this is a team that can start to get consistent pitching and not have to be behind in the early innings when the starters give up one, two, or three runs in the first inning. Um, but I think offensively, hopefully there are starting to be signs of improvement. You know, I think the bullpen has been really good. You know, Jansen's been, I think, really all the Red Sox could ask for. Um <laughs> in terms of a closing pitcher, so been impressed with him. Um, but I think this is a team that you win games however you can win games, and I do think that, you know, yeah, you could say that it's hard to really have faith in this team with the starting pitching that's kind of here and there. You know, where some games it's solid, some games it's not. And I think, you know, it's kind of hard to know. But it is good to know that this is a team that can fight back. You know, a team that was sitting at 5-8 and eight after that four-game sweep against Tampa Bay, and they've responded and won 7 out of 10. And so I think, you know, you hope they can continue that positive momentum with, you know, the series coming up in Baltimore this week. The Red Sox will play three in Baltimore, then they'll be back home uh, for seven in a row against Cleveland and Toronto. So, you know, I think anytime you have... A homestand like that, it's an opportunity, you know, to, to get hot. And I think this is a team that really needs to get into kind of a rhythm. But I also think that if you look at the standings in the American League, they're not, there's really only one or two teams that are kind of setting the pace. We'll take a look at the standings later. But I think just looking at, you know, the Red Sox have been a team that can score runs. You know, pitching is always kind of been a question mark, but you look at the American League, you know, there's really, there's only three teams in the American League that are four games better than 500, or four games over 500. The Texas Rangers, Baltimore, who the Red Sox will play this week, and Tampa Bay. Every other team is four games over 500 or less, and the Red Sox are, yes, they're in last place, but they're a game and a half back of the Yankees. Or three games back a second place. So it's like, this is a team that if they can get hot, you know, the window's there and the opportunity is there, I think, against a team like Baltimore, a division opponent. And, you know, yeah, it's hard to know what to make of this team 23 games in with 12 wins. But, you know, hopefully it's about the recent stretch of play that the Red Sox can make that into a trend. They can make that you know, 10 wins and 14, you know, 15 and 22, you know, something like that. 
uh, where this team could really kind of get into a rhythm. Um, but I think it's really encouraging to see this team being able to take two out of three in two series in a row against some pretty quality teams. Now they get another opportunity to play a quality team with Sale, Kluber, and Hauk going against the Orioles this week. So it'd be interesting to see how they do. Um, but I think it's great to see Yoshida getting a couple of home runs, kind of getting some confidence back. And it seems like that's happening. And I think you can get consistent offense from him and from Justin Turner and, you know, Kike Hernandez. You can do that. You're making this team a lot better. And I think, you know, hopefully we can see Chris Sale turn a corner with the outing that he had last week against the Twins, that hopefully he can keep it going and pitch well in Baltimore tonight um, and really kind of set the tone for this series. So, you know, big series against the Orioles this week. And, yeah, you know, it's not, not normal that we say that, but the Orioles are a quality team this year, you know, 14-7 and seven through 21 games. So it's a big opportunity for the Red Sox to kind of continue their stretch of solid play um, because I think as many wins as you can pile up now is going to be really important, you know, come the tough stretches in August and September when, you know, you really need to have wins. Uh, so I think as far as other news, you know, Trevor's story, obviously there was news that he's been able to, I think, do some catching, maybe do some light throwing. I'm not positive, but, you know, I think the ability to possibly get him back at some point in the regular season could be huge uh, for this team, but hopefully they can get on to a bit of a run. But it is going to be challenging against the Orioles as, you know, the 14-7, and seven, they've won six in a row. So big opportunity for the Red Sox, but hopefully the uh, stretch of the good run of solid play recently is going to be a sign of uh, things to come for this team. So I think that's going to do it for the Red Sox. So we're trying to talk um, MLB, kind of take a look at the standings later in the podcast. So we are going to get to the Patriots with you know, a pretty big event coming up this week. I don't know if you've heard the uh, NFL draft uh, Thursday night, round one, Friday night, rounds two and three, and then the rest of the rounds on Saturday. I think that starts at like 11 or 12 in the afternoon. So before we get to the draft, there are some little Patriot things that I wanted to touch on. Uh, Patriots have had off-season workouts, and um, you may have heard in the media that Bill O'Brien has said that you know it's going to be a clean slate for the offense this year. And I think that, you know, I don't know if it really matters that he had to say that, but I think just getting that out I think is going to be you know, something that I think the Patriots are going to pride themselves on offensively this season, having a clean slate and just putting last year in the past, which, you know, I think is fine. You know, I think that, as I've said multiple times, you know, clearly what happened last year was an experiment. You know, the Patriots tried something, it didn't work, and, you know, here's what they've done to get better. They've brought in a experienced offensive coordinator who has experience with the organization and you have a group of solid offensive players that you've added to and I think you know even having having another opportunity 
to add players, you know, in the draft. So, you know, pretty happy with what they've done in the offseason so far, specifically on offense. You know, I think the additions they made that, you know, we've talked about at length, really pleased with, but I do think it's, you know, such an opportunity for this team to, you know, add more talent in the draft, you know, whether that's going to fortify the defense or is it going to bring in a playmaker or two offensively? Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. But I think just kind of the idea of giving everyone a clean slate is great news because I think that, you know, guys can be able to have a fresh start and start new. And I think a guy like Kendrick Bourne could really, you know, benefit from that sort of thing where it just never really came together for him last season. And, you know, whatever happened within the team, who knows? But I think having someone like that, having a clean slate, I think is huge because I think he's going to end up being a pretty big, important part of the offense, assuming he's on the team uh, week one in September. But obviously there's a lot of time between now and then. But, you know, I think I'm pleasantly, you know, kind of excited for what they can do offensively this season with the additions that they've made in free agency. And, you know, hopefully there's some more additions that, you know, we can talk about as well with the draft. So that being said, I thought it made sense to look at some positions for the Patriots um, and where they could possibly add some talent um, on the offensive side or the defensive side. So, you know, as I said, the first round of Thursday night, 8 o'clock, rounds 2 and 3, Friday at 7 o'clock, and then rounds 4 through 7, Saturday starting at noon. So Patriots obviously pick at 14, and I think could have a lot to do with possibly what other teams do in the first 13 picks that may, you know, dictate what the Patriots are going to do. You know, I think it's kind of going to be interesting to see, other than the quarterbacks, what positions or what players go really high in the first round. And if those are positions of need for the Patriots, do they kind of adjust? You know, that's going to be interesting to see because I do think this week of the draft, you know, draft is in three days. I don't really think any teams are really set on what they're going to do in the first round. And so I think really, you know, you're kind of not sure what teams are going to do. And so, you know, Patriots probably have an idea of, you know, a bunch of different scenarios, how things are going to go. Um, but I think taking a look at their positions of need, um, I think that for me, offensive tackle, cornerback, and wide receiver are kind of the top three uh, with some other positions that I think they could address. Uh, defensive end, I think tight end they could address. Um, so I think taking a look first at the offensive lineman, um, Peter Skaronsky is kind of the lineman that is kind of the number one ranked on, on ESPN that I'm looking at. So he's a possibility. Broderick Jones from Georgia, Paris Johnson Jr. from Ohio State, uh, Darnell Wright from Tennessee, all names that could be possible for the Patriots. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Patriots do go that route. What does that mean for someone like Trent Brown? What does that mean for someone like Riley Reef, who the Patriots brought in? So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, admittedly, I'm not as familiar with all these offensive linemen, you know, as to what side on the line that they play. Um, but I think you could absolutely see in addition kind of made for depth that maybe this person that the Patriots draft 
do they become a starter automatically? Maybe, maybe not. But I think I feel pretty comfortable with the fact that the Patriots drafted Cole Strange in the first round last year. He started all 17 games and really was a starter pretty much from day one. Now I know that, yes, did have his issues, but I think anytime you can draft someone in the first round and they immediately start every single game for you, I mean, that's a pretty good pick. So I think that, you know, if there's an offensive tackle that's drafted, does that player play every single game? Kind of hard to know at this point, but, you know, I think there's a lot of depth at this position. And so even if the Patriots choose not to address it in the first round, there's still guys that they could take in the second or third round that could be, you know, as important. And I think it's always important to remember that these are all just projections. These are not set in stone that these are guys that are going to be all pros. You know, Peter Skronsky, as a lot of people have, is kind of the number one tackle. He could end up not having a good career. And someone like, you know, Matthew Bergeron, who gets picked in the second round, could end up having a great career. So I think it's just not just offensive linemen. I think any position, we have to remember that these are just projections. And what the projections are, it's not, you know, set in stone for how these guys are going to be. Because I think, you know, if Cole Strange was rated as, what, a second-round pick or something like that or whatever, he started all 17 games and it was pretty good. So it's like, you know, projections don't necessarily mean anything. So I think offensive tackle, that's a spot. You know, I think wide receiver, you've heard the Patriots linked to a couple of different guys, whether it's a Flowers or uh, Jonathan Mingo or Josh Downs, Michael Wilson. Those are kind of just some names that have been floated around over the last couple of weeks, you know. Jackson Smith and Jigba, probably the first receiver that comes off the board. You know, this is a position that's going to be interesting to see is I think that uh, Smith and Jigba is kind of the, kind of like the decided number one guy that if there's a receiver that's going to go early, it's going to be him. And I do think that you could see a possibility that if receivers start to go, that they go very quickly. And so I think especially if a receiver is taken early, you could see some teams then switch gears and take some of those guys, which I think might be partially why if I'm the Patriots, I might be willing to wait until day two because I think there is some really good uh, talent at the top, but I think the receiver class is fairly deep, and so they could get someone like a, you know, A.T. Perry in the second or third round and be absolutely fine with absolutely fine with that. You know, he's a guy that has good speed, can take the top off the defense, has good size, and I think really could be a solid fit for the Patriots. But I think all these other guys could be good fits as well. You know, Jordan Addison, Quinton Johnson, just some names there. But I think of the position that I think the Patriots are going to address in the first round, I think it's going to be cornerback because I think they're seeing the way that teams are being built, that passing games are kind of the, the biggest thing. And I think the Patriots do need to get a little bit more size, a little bit more physicality. So cornerback, I think, is where they're going to go. Um, it's going to be interesting to see because this is a very top-heavy class, I think, with a lot of guys that could go in the first round. But I think it's also a deep class as well. You know, Devon Witherspoon, 
from Illinois is kind of the number one guy, Christian Gonzalez, out of Oregon also as well. But I think my, my thought for where the Patriots go um, is Joey Porter Jr. That's kind of a player that I've had my eyes on is he has good size, has good good length, and I think the Patriots really kind of need that a guy who can be a little bit more physical with wide receivers. Um, and I think Porter could absolutely be a good fit. You know, yes, he is the, the son of Steelers, Steelers legend Joey Porter, which would be kind of funny as he, you know, was involved in Patriots-Steelers rivalries from the early 2000s. But I think he would be a really good pick. And obviously, you know, may not be a perfect player, but I think the Patriots working with whoever they pick at the cornerback position, assuming that that's what they do, and can get a solid player because the Patriots picked two defensive backs last year and they played pretty well, you know, Marcus and Jack Jones. So I think if the Patriots can add to that, it's going to make their defense in the in the defensive backfield be a lot more deep. So that's where I think the Patriots are going to go. But I do also think defensive end they could look at, you know, I think there's some really good guys that could be available, Lucas Van Ness, Miles Murphy, because I do think that, yes, Judon has been outstanding since he's come over from the Ravens and free agency, but at a certain point, he's going to get older, and I think the Patriots do want to kind of start thinking ahead with that position. Um, and so I think defensive end could be a position the Patriots go, that it's not necessarily in need, but I think if they could get a big-time player at defensive end, it could make a huge difference. Um, in terms of what they can do defensively. I also think tight end could be a position they address. Uh, they have a, It's a really good class this year. A couple of guys who are really good receivers. I think the Patriots could have a need for another receiving tight end, um, but also a blocking tight end as well. So, you know, that could be a position that would be interesting to see is, you know, Gesicki is only on a one-year deal, kind of more of a receiver, as is Hunter Henry. So I think you could see the Patriots addressing this position. Don't know if it's going to be in the first round, but I think that's another possible position that could be picked, possibly in the first round. I also think safety is a position the Patriots will address in the draft. Um, I think with the retirement of McCourty, even with you know someone like Jalen Mills moving back to safety, the Patriots will probably want to get some depth at that free safety spot. So Someone like Brian Branch could be someone the Patriots pick in the first round. Uh, but I also think there's some other guys um, that could be interesting kind of later on. Uh, Jamie Robinson is a player that I've heard been brought up um, as it comes to the Patriots. So he could be a guy that's in available in later rounds that the Patriots try to get. But I think, you know, Brian Branch is kind of the number one safety. But I could see the Patriots doing that. You know, I think, as I said, tackle, offensive tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, kind of the three spots that I would look at. But as far as three other positions they could look at, safety, tight end, defensive end could be interesting. Don't think they're going to go running back, but who knows? That's really hard to know. So, um, But I think the great thing is the Patriots have a lot of options, you know, and I think that it's it's exciting. You know, it's always exciting to see who they pick. Now, I think, obviously, whatever the Patriots do is always going to be, you know, a polarizing subject, and 
you know, I'm just going to say that oftentimes people are going to be upset with what they do no matter what, but, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty crucial draft for the Patriots, but I feel like the Patriots always, or have, have done better in terms of the drafting in the last couple of years have drafted some really good impact players. And I think that you could see them doing that again in the first round with a pick at 14. I don't think that they're trading back. I think that 14 is a pretty high pick that you can get a pretty good player that could possibly be a starter. So I'm betting that they keep the pick, but I don't think, I don't think that it's out of the, out of the realm of possibility that they make a trade because they have three fourth rounders, four sixth rounders. And I think, you know, with only one second round pick and one third, the Patriots could certainly, you know, package some picks to move up possibly in the second round like they did for Barmore in 2021. So I think a trade is absolutely possible for this team with um, 11, 11 picks in the, in the seven rounds for the team. So it'd be interesting to see what they do. So again, first round is Thursday at eight o'clock. We will do a uh, reaction the day after, after the Patriots first round pick. Um, and then we'll probably take a look at what else they could do um, in the remaining rounds of the draft. So I think that's going to do it for the Patriots. We're going to move on to the revolution and Things are really good for the Revs. Uh, another win this weekend against Sporting Kansas City. A couple goals for Giacomo Rioni, who has you know, been into the lineup over the last couple of games and has really you know, asserted himself um, as an attacking forward. And he's had three games, or fifth, excuse me, three goals over the last couple of games, um, including two on Saturday in the first half. So really important that the revolution can get him going. You know, he was a guy that was a, I think there was a lot, a lot of hype around him when they signed him last year and, you know, didn't really get into too many games, but I think he's starting to be that, you know, exactly the guy that the revolution wanted when they brought him over. And I think that it's making things easier for the rest of the lineup that they don't have to rely on Gustavo Bo to be available every single game. And I think that Rioni being able to score some goals really makes this already deep attack even more deeper or even deeper. Um, and so I think really looking forward to seeing what he can do over the next uh, couple of weeks. Unfortunately, Henry Kessler had to have surgery. I think it was on his, I think it was on his wrist. I want to say, but I'm not positive about that. Um, but I know he had some type of surgery um, and probably won't be available for the next couple of months. So that was kind of too bad to, to hear about. But I think defensively, the Revs have really kind of settled in to, uh, to what they've been able to do, or they've settled in defensively and have played really well in front of George Petrovich and you know, Dave Romney obviously was the addition in the offseason. But I think that, that the Revolution as a group have done a really good job in front of the goalie and I think made things easier for him. Uh, the Revs have been able to do what they're going to do offensively. And I think it's continuing 
great it's great to see the revs continuing to you know have faith in someone like noel buck who's played in all nine games has had a goal and has had an impact on a lot of games and i think kind of letting those young guys you know do what they're going to do has really been it's really been a good a good thing for this team that you know they've been able to let different guys be able to come in and make an impact you know this is not a team kind of like last year that they were relying on they were relying on different guys to be available and sometimes they weren't and so i think being able to have confidence to put anyone in there in terms of the kind of mostly the attacking third you know really gives this team confidence that you know anyone you put in there is going to be able to make an impact so really pleased with Frioni's performance obviously on Saturday the Revolution have a U.S. Open Cup game on Tuesday night at Gillette against Hartford and then they will return to MLS activity this Saturday against FC Cincinnati so you know this is a Reds team that has had a great start to the season which is awesome to see and you know this is a Cincinnati team that uh, has the same number of points as the Revs, and so it will be a huge matchup for the Revs um, on Saturday, you know, against the, the other top team in the Eastern Conference, and the Revs in Cincinnati actually have the most points in Major League Soccer, so actually it will be a great matchup against FC Cincinnati. Both teams have six wins, one loss, and two draws on on the season. So hope the good times continue to roll for the refs as, they, as they've had a really good start to the season. Um, but then they will start a big road stretch after the month of April with uh, five road games in their next six after a game against Cincinnati. So the refs will be uh, road warriors for a couple of weeks for most of the month of May and then into June. So hope the Revs respond to that. They've responded well to a lot of home games in the early part of the season, which is great because I think it's given this team some cushion that they've been able to be confident in the ability of winning some home games and being at home and you know taking advantage of all the home games, getting three points in most of these games so that if they go on the road and lose some, they'll still have some points banked so they'll be in a good position uh, as they approach kind of the midway point of the season so i think that that's going to do it for the revs a couple games this week u.s open cup and then mls game big game against cincinnati on saturday so i think that's going to do it for um, our updates on the boston teams there is plenty of playoff conversation to go around um, in the NBA and in the NHL. We're going to start in the NBA. A couple of really exciting games. Uh, last night, obviously, the Celtics played really well in their game four win. The Knicks beating the Cavaliers at MSG, winning their second straight game at home. And the Knicks had a 3-1 series lead over the Cavs. Very surprising. The Knicks are playing some really, really good basketball. It's good to see them have the good performance in the fourth quarter last night. So they are up three games to one. The Warriors 
holding on to beat the Kings last night as uh, Steph Curry almost had a uh, embarrassing gaffe as actually he had called a timeout in the final minute of the fourth quarter. Warriors didn't have any timeouts, so uh, Warriors got hit with a technical foul. Kings hit the free throw, had the ball. De'Aaron Fox hits a three. One-point game. They get a stop. Harrison Barnes missing a shot at the buzzer, so the Warriors survive, and the series is tied. 126-125. So that was a pretty wild game. And then the Timberwolves um, fending off a Nuggets sweep last night. They win 114 to 108 in overtime, the final score there. So Timberwolves stay alive for one more game. There actually was something that actually I'd seen this morning after the Celtics game, apparently. DeJounte Murray of the Hawks had made contact with an official at the buzzer of the game and had to be held back by teammates, so it could, be, could affect the Celtics if he's unavailable to play in Game 5 for the Hawks. Julius Randle seems to be playing, still playing through his ankle injury, suffered toward the end of the regular season, did not play for most of the fourth quarter last night in New York, but obviously didn't matter. And then also, Jalen Brown ditching the mask in the first half of the Celtics win, as he actually was one for seven in the first half, had missed a layup at one point, I think it was in the second quarter, so he said enough is enough. Mask is coming off, and he was outstanding the rest of the game. Started 1 for 7, and then was like 11 of 15 the rest of the game. So good for him to get the mask off, and the Celtics grab the commanding series lead. Uh, Victor Oladipo also had went down with a knee injury late in the Heat win over the Bucks. Um, and so he's done for the season with a knee injury. Really tough scene uh, for him as he had missed a lot of the last couple of years with injuries. So, you know, really hate to see that for a guy like that who's worked really hard to get himself back into the NBA. So wishing him well in his recovery. So we'll take a look at games tonight in the NBA. We'll take a look at the all the series in a moment. Uh, Milwaukee and Miami play game four tonight. Heat are up two games to one. Bucks really need this game, really need Giannis to be back. Um, and then the Lakers, with a 2-1 series lead, will play game four against the Grizzlies tonight. So we'll see if the Bucks and the Grizzlies can even those series. And then as far as the other series, obviously the Sixers with the sweep of the Nets. That series wrapped up Saturday, so the Sixers will get some rest. And then the other first-round series, the Clippers and the Suns, Game 5 of that first-round series is tomorrow night in Phoenix. Suns can win the series as they are up three games to one. So I think, yeah, I think we're going to move on. Talk a little bit about the NHL play, the Stanley Cup playoffs, as I should say. Uh, Bruins, obviously, with the win yesterday. Carolina also beating the Islanders yesterday. They have a 3-1 series lead. And then a couple of Western Conference series, even at two games apiece. The Stars winning on the road in Minnesota, 3-2. And then Edmonton rallying from a 3-0 deficit 
uh, in the first period to win 5-4 in overtime. So both of those series tied at two games apiece. Um, and games tonight, four. Game four is tonight. The Devils will have game four in New York against the Rangers. Devils won in game one in overtime in game three. So they'll look to even the series tonight. The Maple Leafs and the Lightning. Maple Leafs up two games to one. A wild game three. Toronto won in overtime. So they can go for a 3-1 series lead tonight. 7.30 start in Tampa. Vegas won in double overtime earlier this weekend. Or a couple days ago. Um, on Saturday. So they took a 2-1 series lead against Winnipeg. That game four is tonight at 9.30 in Winnipeg. And then Colorado and Seattle. Colorado and Seattle. Game four. Avalanche up two games to one. 10 o'clock start in Seattle tonight. So really exciting atmosphere for Seattle the other night hosting their first playoff game in over 100 years. So pretty exciting stuff. Pretty exciting stuff for them. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's covered all the games. Four games tonight on the NHL schedule. So it has been very fun. You know, tuning between the... Turner Sports and ESPN networks for both the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. It's been kind of a you know unprecedented thing with you know both sports on you know either of those networks. So it's been kind of an exciting time. So four games in the NHL or in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight, two playoff games in the NBA playoffs. We'll take a look at the MLB briefly. Take a look at the uh, standings. Red Sox obviously uh, in last in the AL East, but making things a little bit interesting on the Yankees and Blue Jays. They're just a game and a half back of those, both of those teams. Tampa Bay uh, continues to have a hot start as they are undefeated at home, 13-0, and and they are 19-3 and overall. So they are in first in the American League East. In the Central, the Twins lead the division at 12-10. and one game lead over Cleveland in the West. Texas is off to a good start, though 14 and 7, with a two and a half game lead over the Astros for first place in the National League. You have the Braves with a half game lead over the Mets. And the surprising Pittsburgh Pirates with a half game lead over the Brewers for first place in the NL Central. NL Central. Pirates have won seven straight games, and the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers tied atop the National League West at 12 and 11. So if the Red Sox were in the National League West, they'd be in first place. So that's at least something to be pleased about. But, you know, this is a Red Sox team that hopefully they can get hot a little bit and get on a bit of a run, but they will be playing Baltimore. Tough matchup for the Sox this week as the Orioles are 14 and 7, six straight wins. So before we let you guys go, we're going to take a look at the NFL draft just briefly and take a look at which players might possibly be going early. Um, also, we'll get to some NFL notes actually is a couple of Lions players were suspended uh, for betting on, I believe betting on NFL games. So they will miss period, I think different periods of time and a couple players will miss the entire season. A couple players will miss six games. 
um, the Cowboys picking up C.D. Lamb's contract option, the Falcons releasing Casey Hayward, saved about $5 million in cap space, Matt Patricia will return to the defensive sidelines, but will return to the Eagles, or will return to the will return to defensive coaching for the Eagles as he will be on the Eagles staff this season. And so Carolina Panthers atop the draft board. They're on the clock with the number one pick that they acquired from the Bears a couple months ago. So they're at number one. Texans number two, Colts they're at Cardinals at three, Colts at four, Seahawks at five. So that's the top five. A lot of conversation about or around the different quarterbacks. Um, you know, certainly Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, that kind of seems to be the conversation. Will Levis's name has come up a lot over the last couple of days. Uh, the Patriots actually did have him in for a top 30 visit, which some people I think are thinking, oh, maybe they draft him in the first round. But it could just be the Patriots doing due diligence and thinking, okay, he could be a quarterback that maybe he gets selected by a team that Patriots play in the regular preseason. You know, I think it's always worth having, you know, due diligence done on a slew of players, you know, even if there's little to no chance of drafting them. So I think, you know, C.J. Stroud would kind of be my choice if I was the Panthers, but you know, I think both he and Bryce Young do have a chance to be very good in the NFL. So I think it kind of is between the two of those guys. Um, I think as part of an article that I'll be writing for Musket Fire, I'll be releasing uh, my first round mock draft later this week. So be sure to post that on the socials um, on Twitter, Facebook, so you guys can check that out. But it's going to be an exciting draft. I really think it's going to be... Um, hard to know, hard to really predict, you know, up until the picks are being announced. So I think it'll be exciting. Anthony Richardson also is another quarterback. I knew I was forgetting someone, but you know, yeah, the quarterbacks are always kind of the exciting guys, but I do think there are a lot of possible players that could be really good that get picked out of this draft class. So that'll be interesting to see. So yes, I have a draft article coming out later this week, have a mock draft coming out as well. And then, yeah, we'll have a reaction to the Patriots' first-round pick. And then we also got a, a guest for Guest Friday next week, which I'm really excited about. Um, and he'll help me break down the Patriots' picks in the entire draft. So going to be an exciting two weeks of draft content uh, for the podcast. So I think I'll, I'll sign off for this week. And Everyone have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you Friday.